and we're on all the channels we're supposed to be on. Venture X Studios, it's JP, Kathy, and the crew. Well, happy Wednesday. It's Wednesday, right? Right, am I getting right on that? Is it Wednesday? <laughs> I'm like, what, what day of the week is it? Um, we are very excited to have you with us today. We have got lots to talk about. The Virginia election, the New Jersey election. Holy Toledo, Batman. Who knew that would be in play? Um, we've got Dr. Um, Doctor Good of the Ask Dr. Be Good show, who's going to be joining us momentarily. We've also got Senator Angela Paxton from Senate District 8 here in Texas, and she will be discussing the results and the turnout from yesterday's constitutional uh, Texas Constitutional Amendment election. And then um, Congressman Taylor's got a few things to update us on in D.C., and one of the things that he's going to be talking about is a proposal from the administration that is just, I, I, there are no words. I don't even know what to do with this information, so you'll, you'll definitely want to turn in. But let's go ahead and turn it over to the one and only educational expert for the J.P., Kathy, and the Cruise Show. How are you, Dr. Good? Good. I'm good. We need the rain. We, I have to keep saying <laughs> Yes. You know, big house. Been inching down. We need the rain, so that's a real positive thing. Yes, we um, do need it. Yeah, it's not real positive. It's the latest on the state testing that went on last year. As you know, in yes. 2021, we did test. 2021, we did test. Some states tested less than others. And it's been interesting looking at the data from those tests because um, it's many times we look at the test and we don't really understand the results enough to really um, use it the way that we should. And, and so let's let's talk about what happened last year. Because um, the, the state tests were as impacted in some ways as the school year and the school kids themselves. Um, in a handful of states, some students took the test remotely while others did it in person. In right. Massachusetts, allowed students in grades 3A to take remote tests if the school was in remote learning mode, and more than 15% of those students did. And some states made changes to their testing regimen. Some gave a shortened version of their tests. In Colorado, they gave English language arts tests only in grades 3, 5, 7, and math and only in 4, 6, 8. In California, some districts gave the Smarter Balance test, and others uh, could choose their own assessment. Are you starting to hear a problem here? Uh, I was going to say, I think we have a pattern. Any a pattern of of randomness, right? So many uh, uh, fewer students take the test than usual, though, and that factor uh, poised to exert the most widespread uh, widespread influence on the validity and comparability of the state testing data. So, according to the Center for Reinventing Public Education, which has been monitoring states' response to COVID nineteen. Of the 30 states that released test results so far, only 14 reported test participation rates of 90% or more. Some and states- that's, and I want to, real, real quick, that, that kind of jumped out at me. Um, in comparison to others, I mean, is, there, is this a, a, 
is this a glaring change in say like the last decade? That that's that statistic is really what stood out to me. Because there's there's lots impacting this, and this is what we need to understand. Like some states, uh, New Mexico only had a participation rate of ten percent. Oregon had thirty percent. See, that's un- oh. that's like that's unheard of. That's unreal because I'm just again, and as a teacher and as somebody who like yourself had you know. Well, you've been around a lot longer in education than I was, but back in the day, in the 90s, when I taught, I just, I, I it, like, that would have been, like, this, the the school building would have had to have literally imploded for us to have a 10% or a 30% participation rate in the testing. I, I mean, you so, understand, that's just, it, that's so hard to wrap your head around. Because in the past, we got ding, districts got ding yes. lower than... Five percent of their students taking the test. Yep. This, all of a sudden, it's it's do what you. I guess I shouldn't say do what you want. Do what you could. I guess. I guess. Yeah. But now, here here are the questions that we need to be thinking about when looking at our state data. Did any of our students take the test remotely? Because students who took the test remotely tended to score differently than kids who did it in school. Interesting. And did we take the same test as 2019? Some, remember, in some states, they shortened the test. And so you can't compare a test, even if it's the same test, to, you know, the 2019 results as the 2021 results if you change the test, right? Um, if you made it with less items. Right. So how many students? So the participation rate is so important when it comes to really being able to compare yeah, apples that's, and apples. That's so true. That's so true. Yeah. So um, imagine an analysis that shows that students who skipped the test were disproportionately those who scored low in previous years. So what that means, normally your students of color and students of, from low socioeconomic areas tended to score lower than, let's say, white students, Asian students. And those are the kids that tended to skip the school, the test all together last year. And so all of a sudden you have your lowest scoring kids not participating in the test last year. And a district might have a higher test uh, score overall without understanding that that was because their lowest scores didn't take the test. You see right. how all of this all. Well, and you, you've got to have, you, you have to know, it's one of those things. You, you have to have your, your student who's struggling the most and your student who is succeeding the most, both taking the test and everybody in between in order to get a fair assessment of what's going on on that particular campus or in that classroom or in that district. You don't have the it's full data. In high enough numbers. That's the thing. Right. So if you aren't paying how the population was changing, you're misinterpreting your score. Um, this is from Harvard University professor. And so uh, what he's saying is we've got to avoid naive analysis. And that, I'm sure there's a lot of naive analysis going on comparing 2019 data to 2020. Yes. And, you know, without taking into consideration all of this, these possible factors that would impact the data. And so there might be districts are thinking, oh, we didn't do as badly as we thought. Well, that's because your students didn't take the test. So, uh, and and you say, well, what, so 
what? Okay, well, that impacts our approach to intervention, right? Right. And and so there's there's so much to consider, and and are we doing that? And what does that mean from a parent standpoint? Because a lot of times, especially on your show, we have more parents than we have educators, right? And so the parents are saying, hey, okay, you're giving me a lot of information that educators need to know. What does this mean for me as a parent? Right. Well, it's important to understand that even if you chose to keep your child out of state testing last year, and some parents did, we still need to make sure that they get intervention, right? Right. They, your child was a remote learner. He or she did not learn as much, even if they're a gifted child, as if they were in school. And so making sure that your child gets interventions at school and takes part in really all of this federally funded tutoring opportunity. And that's how we should be looking at tutoring. We Sometimes we give tutoring a bad name because we think, oh, my child needs remedial work. No. Right. No, 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 that's not it at all. Opportunity to get extra instruction in a small group from the expert, right? Yes. From the content. And, uh, you know, here's how we need to think of it. A lot of parents pay money to outside tutoring companies for the same work that could be gotten for free in school. Oh, we, I mean, you know, my daughter had um, had some issues with math um, once she hit middle school. So he went back to a um, an elementary school teacher of hers that would have a small groups of kids over. And uh, she was very fair on her rates that she charged, but we paid weekly for my daughter to have that additional help. And, and we're happy to do so. Well, think about this. Remember all that extra money, the millions of dollars that every district has gotten, every yes. well, title gotten, and that specifically to have small group instruction. And so instead of looking at it from a, I don't want my child to have and be part of interventions because that's remedial. No, you know, what we need to think of that is it's an opportunity for your child to get deeper instruction in a small group maybe covering things that he or she may have gotten somewhat well, but will get even better in a small group instruction. And it's free. And a lot of times when I say during the school day, I do include after-school tutoring because we should um, let our kids take part in after-school tutoring. Again, small groups, they've had to hire extra people. In Texas, the groups can be no larger than three unless the parents in the group of five or seven sign off that they all agree that kids can be in a bigger group. But even a group of five is still a good size, nice small group. And, right. you know, opportunity to maybe ask questions that he or she wouldn't ask in a big group. Maybe your child is shy. Maybe your child is that child that doesn't like to uh, show that they don't know things in front of all their friends, right. but would be more comfortable in a small group. So, you know, these are questions that parents need to ask of their teacher, of their schools. How are you making sure that my child is getting good interventions, uh, solid instruction in, you know, during the school day and possibly after school? And remember, uh, we have a teaching shortage, too. I've, I've spoken to, about oh, that as yes, well. yes, we do. Yes. Part of that to-do list that I talked about two, three weeks ago on your show, still stand, folks. You've got to stay the advocate for your child yes. during the third COVID year, especially now that we have this 
new, well, I shouldn't say new, this uh, perfect storm of uh, not necessarily being able to fill all of positions easily and having long-term subs in math, in ELA, in science. Those are tough content areas to have subs in, right? And so keeping an eye on the uh, goings-on in your child's content classrooms is is a very important part of your job right now. It, it, really, it really is. Well, Dr. Good, what are what are you going to be talking about on Sunday's show? I mean, there's there's so much going on, and every time people think, and I hear a conversation, well, I feel like things, you know, you know, several folks have commented, well, we were able to have the homecoming dance like normal, and so I kind of feel like things are getting back to normal, and I'm like, okay, not that a homecoming dance isn't great and big, fat, fun, and all that kind of stuff, but these test scores are what we need to be looking at. The different things coming in, it, the actual education part of education, we're not back to normal. Well, and that this this information, this article has sort of led me to have a show that's going to talk about this plus what that means for parents in, in a more of a checklist. And then also um, what we need to do for teachers, keep supporting teachers, because um, article after article is showing us how hard it is for us to keep teachers in the classroom. We are losing teachers mid-year. That's sort of unheard of. I know. But they are something fierce. And yeah. I, I don't know if it's an eye on that. Or let me do that work for you. But yeah. we have got a scenario ahead of us, not only this year, but in future years, if we cannot find a way to make our teachers feel appreciated and supported. Right. And, and that also starting to read that principal burnout is happening as well. And so that we need to put that on, on the radar of our parents so that, you know, our PTAs, our PTOs, and, and just every parent make sure that we help our schools feel supported or we're just, it's going to be harder to have good instruction for kids if our teachers don't feel supported and, and are leaving mid-year and our principals are burning out. So we'll talk more about that. And, and That's what scary do. stuff, scary stuff. Well, lots and lots to talk about. And the great thing is you've got your own show where you do that every Sunday from 8 to 8.30. We look forward to seeing you then and hearing more about education. I think the one thing you say over and over that, that we want to knock out of the park is Parents must advocate for their kids in education, period, end of sentence. You're your best, you're your child's best hope at the end of the day. Thank you. And I mean, I'm going to sign off so I can sign back on and listen to the rest of your show. There you go. All right. Thanks so much, Dr. Good. We appreciate you. All right, Dr. Uh, Rebecca Good of the Ask Dr. B. Good Show. Of course, you can catch her on the JPK um, Broadcasting Network every Sunday from 8 to 8.30. So good stuff. Um, let's go ahead and Wow, what a difference a day makes, I guess is what I can say right now. Remember, we've got Angela Paxton coming up in about 10 minutes, and then um, at 8.45 we've got um, uh, Congressman Van Taylor coming on. Um, some uh, some craziness being proposed out of D.C., and then Angela is going to be updating us. Senator Paxton will be updating us on the results of the Texas Constitutional Amendment election. So let's pop up that picture because Virginia— has gone red we have got and this is just amazing put put his picture on the full screen brett if you don't mind for a second because this is um this is real i mean this is big big news so um I, i'm gonna go ahead and read uh, this is from um virginia just a couple of hours ago out off of um, fox news 
Biden, Obama, Harris all strike out for McAuliffe, Aleaf, is that how you say his name, in Virginia. And this is a really, again, these midterm elections, and this is kind of the first of what we're, what we're seeing as a potential possible trend that could be coming out between this November and next November. Of course, next November, you've got congressional seats and Senate seats that are up. And this is one of those things where if you are a we the people kind of person anywhere in this country, that is where you can stop some of the bleeding. You can triage what's coming at us and what's killing us out of Washington, D.C. Uh, let's let's go ahead and uh, talk a little bit about this. So leading lights, <clears throat> the leading lights of the Democratic Party, including President Biden, former President Obama, Vice President Kamala Harris, and voting rights activist Stacey Abrams all stepped up to the bat in Virginia for the gubernatorial campaign. And the result was a giant whiff. So um, none of them excited the voters enough to take uh, McAuliffe. Somebody help me out with Aliff, um, McAuliffe. Um, not sure how to pronounce his name. Um, well, and I guess I don't need to know now because he did not win. Um, meanwhile, Republican Glenn Youngkin mostly campaigned on his own and ended up seizing the governor's mansion in Richmond. As a campaign stop for McAuliffe last month, Biden urged Virginians to cast their votes for him instead of and insisted that the former Democratic National Committee chairman had a proven track record from his time as governor um, from uh, of the state from 2014 to 2018. And this is a Biden quote. You don't have to wonder what kind of governor Terry will be. You know what a great governor he was. It wasn't just because of what he promised. It's because of what he delivered. Biden also echoed a false claim that Youngkin was seeking to ban certain books. Of course, this is that fear mongering that the Democrats tend to use. And it's just it's just so unnecessary. And I think people are really getting to the point where they know better than that, and um, and Brett, you can you can go ahead and put a, put a split screen. Or actually, let's keep his picture still somewhere because this is until we finish talking about Virginia. Because this is just a, a really uh, to me, this isn't even a Republican Democrat moment. I know if if you're a Republican, like all my friends, um, we're just everybody is texting everybody, and oh my goodness, can you believe it? This is a bellwether um, victory. This is this is one of those things where we have. Absolutely, we the people in Virginia spoke and said we don't like what's coming out of Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C., the Capitol, the folks there, they don't know best for us. We know best for us. Um, and, and also, I think, again, because this was a big fear-mongering campaign from the other side, you know, all their top folks who came through <clears throat> which Harris, she also made a trip to the Commonwealth and warned voters in the state that a loss for their candidate could tarnish Democrat chances in the 2022 congressional midterms and in the 2024 presidential election. And she is absolutely right. She goes on to say what happens in Virginia will in large part determine what happens in 2022, 2024, and on. 
Harris said as she campaigned for the Democratic governor. You're going to bring this home, right? Yes, you are. Um, Stacey Abrams, who lost the uh, Georgia gubernatorial election back in 2018, also vouched for his candidacy, campaigning for him under a number of predominantly black churches or in a in a number of predominantly black churches in Virginia. Voting is an act of faith, Abrams said at the time, urging the churchgoers in the state to go and, quote unquote, do the job. Biden predicted Tuesday that the Democrats were going to win in Virginia, noting it is all about who shows up. Boy, that I do believe that part. That's true. But but it wasn't to be and he failed to make it happen. Um, this this is a huge, huge, huge statement um, as far as we the people is concerned. You have got folks, you know, and I was just, I was texting with um, with JP and Dr. Good this morning, and I mentioned, you know, one of the, because um, I'm a creature of habit. I buy the same kind of stuff at the store every week. You know, once a month I buy certain cleaners. Once a month I buy certain things. Well, when I went in and was buying my, um, the kitchen soap that I like and the kitchen spray that I use to clean my counters and my sink, I, um, I noticed that both of those items were up, and I'm, I want to say at this point, almost 50 cents. Um, they were over the $4 mark, which um, they never had been before. Um, people, gas, you know, um, I think we talked about this on Monday. You know, one of my girlfriends posted on her social media sites, the gas the gas tank that said $95, the gas pump, when she filled up her SUV, and this is, it's just too much. It's, it's just, we're getting things shoved down our throats. We're getting all of these, um, uh, you know, we're, we're feeling like we have no control over our lives anymore. Ridiculous things, which Congressman Taylor is going to talk about, at least one of those today. Ridiculous things are being proposed. And and we, the people, are like, when can I vote? There were people, there was actually, we were in line for almost 45 minutes um, after work yesterday when my husband and I went to vote in the Texas constitutional election. And I heard a couple of people say, I just felt like I needed some kind of control. You know, I, I'm assuming all of these um, amendments are going to pass, but I just felt like I needed somebody to know that I care about what's going on. This is very, very, very telling, and I would imagine the Democrats are very concerned, especially with the victories in Virginia. Now let's talk about New Jersey a little bit, and I and if there has been any updated news since I've been in studio, please somebody let us know about this. We'll be talking about this on Friday. Hopefully we'll have um, a definitive answer. But right now it's a New Jersey Republicans make it a race against the favored Dem, and at this point Fox News was saying, and this was as of a couple hours ago, the race in New Jersey, and we can take we can take the soon-to-be Governor Youngkin. Hello, um, I'm super excited about that. Anybody want to go up for his swearing in? That would be fun. Um, but anyways, this is another thing, and this I did not even expect this. And um, again, friends were you know we were texting last night and texting early this morning. But the race for governor in New Jersey remained too close to call as early as Wednesday morning as Governor Phil Murphy's challenger, Jack, and and I apologize, I don't even, 
Um, because I wasn't, my eye wasn't even on the prize in this neck of the woods. Um, I might be mispronouncing his name, Jack um, Chitterelli, I think. Anyway, it's C I A T T A R E L L I. Um, clings on to a slight lead. These two waged tense campaigns, and Murphy presented himself as a solid progressive. Um, the Republican challenger tried to paint Murphy as an out of touch with the average voter and was critical of his leadership during the COVID-19 um, epidemic. The campaigns ended their election night parties without either claiming victory. Both struck optimistic tones with their supporters. We've sent a message to the entire nation. This is what I love about this state. Every single time it's gone too far off track, the people of this state have pushed and pulled and prodded it right back to where it needs to be. And this is the um, Republican challenger to the current incumbent Democrat governor. Um, wow. Um, this is even even if and, and you've got to understand the Republican challenger was I, I think I'd at best heard maybe 10 points was what he would lose by a lot of polls ha and, and you know folks out there predicting these elections had him tracking at, at, at possibly a 15 point loss so the fact that we are talking I want to say 49 oh let's see um uh, I think it's 49, and if you'll let me know when Senator Paxton comes on, we'll, we'll hop over to her. Uh, let's see. Oh, yeah. Um, dead tie, 49.6 each. I believe, I think Ann said that, oh, she's on, okay. Ann said the 88%, yeah, 88% of the votes are in. They're absolutely tied um, currently. So this is this is a race that even if the Democrat still pulls out a victory, because I'm hearing some of the counties that are still out are blue counties, this should send such a message to D.C. that, hey, even in New Jersey, we don't like what you're doing. So um, let's talk about Texas. We like what Texas is doing, right, Senator Paxton? Texas is the best. Yes, yay. Well, good morning to you, Senator Paxton. We're so glad to have you on for a special wrap-up after um, yesterday's Texas constitutional amendment election. Interestingly enough, and I, and I don't know if you had a chance to hear this before um, you got on, I mentioned that my husband and I went to vote yesterday after work and um, ended up having to wait like 45 minutes in line at Plano Carpenter Rec Center and overheard some people saying, you know, because people were like, wow, this is a big turnout here at the end. I'm you know, surprised so many people are here. I can't believe I've even got a line to wait in. People were saying things like, I overheard, because of course I'm people watching and listening the whole time, saying yeah. things like, I just felt, I know these were probably all going to pass. I, it's probably not a big deal if I vote or not, but... And some, some people were like, I don't even know what's necessarily on, what amendments are on the ballot. But they said, I'm just so upset with everything that I felt like somehow I had to let somebody know that I'm here and I want to be listened to. So I think it's very telling that, you know, you can have that kind of push here at the end. I think it's because people feel frustrated. Now, in Texas, um, do you know what kind of percentage turnout we had? And and did everything pass? Did number three pass? That was I know that was a big one that we were all looking at. Yes. Um, so and and I've got actually if, if anybody's interested in digging down into the details, um, the 
it is the Secretary of State. Okay. Um, uh, let's see. It's a results.texas. I'm actually just reading from the search okay, bar. Okay, gotcha. Results.texas-election.com. Okay. And you can kind of dig down into the percentages and look at pie charts and graphs and, and uh, all kinds of things. But right now they have, um, it says uh, 100% of the counties have now reported, 99% of polling locations have reported. The next update on this website is in about four minutes. Um, but they're, you know, the, the results are not official until they actually canvass the results. Right. There's an official process that, that go, they'll go through. Um, John Scott is the new Secretary of State. And, um, you know, I think one of the things that you'll probably see is just a focus with him on trying to make sure that people feel confident about the, the elections. I noticed in the press releases for John Scott that, um, he met with the four counties that will be doing the election audits right. um, the other day. And so I think he's just trying to be proactive in helping um, make sure that we can have confidence in our election results. But um, for the eight propositional, um, um, uh, the propositions that um, were waiting to see if they would actually become constitutional right. amendments, all of them passed. Um I thought I'd kind of walk through them real quick. Um, if you're, if you're, interested Oh, that would in that. be, yes, please do. Please do. And I'll, and I'll give you the percentages that they passed by because okay. that's kind of interesting. Okay. So, so all of them did pass. The first one was one that basically just gave um, rodeo charitable um, organizations, the ability to do like lotteries and things like that at rodeo events. Right. That doesn't sound like something that would need a constitutional amendment, but it but does. It does. <laughs> and, and you, yeah, everybody's probably been, though, to, like, a professional sports team where they go around and they have some kind of a raffle or something like that. And and because gambling is illegal in Texas, um, people have to get permission uh, to do this. So we generally send that on to the, the people of Texas to decide. So anyway, that passed by 83.8%. Okay. The second was um, the constitutional amendment. Um, authorizing a county to finance development or redevelopment of transportation or infrastructure in um, unproductive, underdeveloped, or blighted areas in the county. This um, is something that cities can do, but counties don't have the permission to do this. It did pass 10 years ago. This did not pass. Um, there's kind of a toll road connection to this a little bit, right. but it passed. This was the lowest, the lowest threshold that anything passed by, and it was 63.3. Okay. Okay. But it's still handily, um, the, handily passed this time. Oh, handily. Around. Yep. Now, yep. this is interesting to, to me. Actually, I just I, miss, I just um, um, have looked at my data wrong. This is the, the one that actually passed with the lowest, with 62.4, was that churches cannot be closed during uh, by, by um, state or political wow. subdivisions. See, and I really, I expected I that to be at least in 75% or over victory. I, I, at the end of the day, a victory is a victory is a victory. And I know that, that yeah. you know, yeah. you and I were watching that one in particular. I, I watched that one more closely than any of the other ones um, and spoke yeah. about that to other people. Like when people said, well, what are all the amendments? If I had like 30 seconds to tell them, I said, hey, 
these these are what I'm voting in favor of. This is what I'm concerned about. But hey, this one has to pass. I thought that would be more yeah. like a 75 percent victory. I I did too. Yeah. But, you know, going back to an election, I mean, that's still a that's still a, a fantastic majority. If I won my election with 62 percent, I'd be very very happy. Oh yes. So yes. but I am surprised of of the in the in the package that that um, I think was the. No, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. Here, here. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm. I'm I didn't look at the whole list very well, did I? So, so that Go was right 62%. ahead. Okay. So here we go. Now, the next two both had to do with um, eligibility requirements and um, ethics, uh, judicial conduct yes. uh, kinds of questions. Right. So the first one was basically that um, in order for someone to run. Um, be, be a candidate for judge that they actually have to have practiced law in Texas. So yes. previously, uh, you have to be obviously, um, you know, a member of the bar in Texas, licensed to practice in Texas, but you didn't necessarily have to have had experience practicing yes. in Texas. So yes. um, that that requires, um, you know, that you've practiced in Texas, in Texas courts for some, some period of time. Right. 58% passed with that. The next one is that the same um, ethics and uh, judicial conduct rules uh, apply to candidates and to um, uh, to elected judges during the campaign. So I guess there have been some situations where candidates um, have done things that a judge cannot do as a sitting judge, but as a candidate, they did them. And so it's to level the playing field between candidates and the actual office office holders. Gotcha. So um, that was that was number four. Okay. That passed by fifty eight percent, fifty nine percent. The next one is um, essential caregiver. This actually got the highest um, the highest pass rate. That that um, individuals have the right to um, of certain facilities like nursing homes to designate a. Uh, an essential caregiver that can visit them, eighty-seven point eight percent. Okay, yeah, and that and that made that um, made sense. That that made that made complete sense. Yes, yes, and then the last two um, both passed very, very um, with very, very high percentages, okay. and they both uh, basically had to do with giving um, property tax exemptions to um, to um, members, first responders who died yes. um, in the line of duty, not necessarily in action, but in the line of yes. duty yes. and also extending those kinds of exemptions to spouses. Yes. So those both passed with 87%. Right. Right. Well, and usually it's, it's interesting and unless there's some kind of really big effort, especially statewide where everybody and you've heard about it and there's yard signs and bumper stickers for it and you're getting mailers and calls and text messages, usually amendments, um, bonds, things of that nature pass. People are typically okay because if the, at this point the conversation has gone so far that it makes sense. Um, and and I, I am, there are several of those that I'm really happy to hear about. The, the first responders, absolutely the right thing to do. Caretakers, right yeah. thing to do. And churches, and again, I, like I said, a victory is a victory. Um, because I, and I had some people. And that's 
right? Two thirds of people. Yes. Two out of three people voted yes. On exactly. That. Exactly. Because I guess my thing is, if you don't feel comfortable because of maybe a health issue, or maybe you have an elderly, or um, you know, a person who elderly or compromised, a person with compromised um, health system. Um, health issues or whatever at home, then you may ch- choose to still do church, you know, on the TV or online or whatever the case may be. Um, so I, 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 I again, I, I thought that would pass a little bit higher. I am thrilled that it did pass because we're protected now. I mean, talk about how this yep. does protect those of us who want to go into the church. We're protected. I mean, Texas is, we're taken well, care of. Yes, and it basically, this is all this is saying is let churches make their own decisions yes. about how to navigate these things. Let them care for people um, in a way that makes sense for their congregation. And don't tell them how to do it. Exactly. That's really all this is. Let let them make their own decisions based on their congregation. Um, let them care for their congregants in the way that they think makes the most sense. Yeah. And um, so, you know, the other thing about turnout, we had. It looks like about 1.45 million okay. Uh, okay. Texans voted. Out of uh, we have about 29 million Texans, so um, 1.45 million. Yes, and uh, how many? And, 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 and so, if the uh, do we know what the percentage is yet? I know, I know, we still have some, we still have a few things that that are coming in. Me. Do we know what the exact percentage is? What, well, I was just going to say, what is. Um, one, four, five. Oh, I'm not good at math, Senator. <laughs> divided by 29.05%. Okay. So, well, uh, now I'm wondering now, is that the eligible, is those the, are those registered voters? 5%. Yeah, okay. No, oh. And that's, that's not based on that. That's just based on our population. Population, gotcha. Okay. Be, yeah, that would be 5% of Texans. Wow. So um, really, it was voting. it was a, a, there was no big spike. We didn't have some double-digit turnout or anything like that. It was low, like anticipated, and like it usually is, in which, again, and you, you mentioned this the other day. That's why I was so happy that you were going to be able to be on with us today to give a wrap-up of, of what passed. Um, this, this is always a low voter turnout. So if, again, your voice is, I mean, is loud and clear in, in this yeah, kind of an election. You're, you're speaking, yeah, you're speaking for, you know, when you, when you talk about, you know, 5%, yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, you're, you're speaking for 95% of the other folks, right? Right, right. And um, so you're, and, and I mean, I think that you, you probably saw this as well. I mean, there were lots of folks that, um, that didn't even realize there was an election and it's because there weren't candidates, right? There weren't um, individuals that are, were seeking exactly. election in other than, you know, a couple places. So, um, and you know, the other thing, like I know it at um, our church on Sunday, because the, um, the um, heartbeat bill was going to be heard on Monday in DC, which I actually attended um, um, Ken and I both were there and I um, participated in the press conference right after the heartbeat right. bill argument on Monday. And thank you um, for that. That was the big focus. In oh, it was an honor to to be there and be part of it. But um, you know, I think like at our church, they they were very focused on that happening on Monday. And I don't know that they even mentioned the <laughs> election. Yeah, and it's a pretty engaged. 
it's a pretty engaged, engaged church, church, but I right. think it kind of was overshadowed in some ways by that. I, I think I think got, you're right. That's really what people are focusing on right now. That and you know who, uh, you know who's going to be on next November's ballot. So um, yeah, you know, yeah. Well, we really appreciate your time. And then um, if there ends up being another special session, which hey, you never know, um, we'd love to have you back on. Maybe if we can have you back on in a couple of weeks to wrap up um, yeah. special session and talk about some of the things, especially education is such a such an important, crucial topic. If you could maybe talk about some of the things you're going to be working on as a member of the education committee for the next session, because you're doing that yeah. work now, correct? Well, and that's a that's a great point to bring up too, Kathy, because, you know, we always get con- um, communication from constituents about, you know, we need to have a law to do this and this and this. And, and when we are in session, we have the ability to make laws, right. a special session, regular session, even though in a special session, if it's not something specific to the call, it's probably not going to have right. legs. Right. But we do have the ability to to move legislation if we are in session, but we are not in session right now. Right. And so, um, you know, whereas Congress is, so I think a lot of times people don't, aren't familiar with kind of, you know, the lanes that, that right. different folks are in, but we actually, you know, so, you know, for people that call and say, you know, please support this or this or whatever. And, and I can say, I do support that, but we don't have the ability to, to actually move legislation right now. Um, we're in what's called the interim. And yes. because we're coming into campaign season, there's going to be a lot of shifts coming at the March 1st primary um, and then next year in November, right? So I think you're going to see a lot of shifts um, in the 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 narrative from a lot of our folks about the issues that do matter, what they've been, what their position has been on things. And they're going to be kind of more in, um, I guess, campaign mode um, a little bit coming up. But the other thing that we are really doing as office holders right now is getting ready for the next yes. regular session, yes. which just as, as you said, will be, um, you know, in, in uh, 23. Yep. So in January of 23. So this is when we do the work Absolutely. Um, for that. And so, and, and the, I, I think some of the most meaningful legislation that we, that I've carried and, and passed has been um, things that have come from constituents um, that it's something that they encountered and they're like, something is wrong with the process here. And, um, you know, I, and, you know, there was a, we passed um, a bill called um, Ellie's Law that because of a family's tragedy, and I think we talked about this on your show um, back, back when we passed it, but it was a tragedy that had happened in a family with their little girl who, right. an infant that right. died in, in daycare because right. of some regulations, and we were able to go in um, and make sure that when parents go in and research home daycare or any daycare, that they can see if there have been prior violations so that they can make the decision that they want to make for their child. And so hopefully, um, because of the, the courage and perseverance of this family, um, other, other families won't have to go through what they went through. So right. there are all kinds of things that are about all kinds of different issues that they matter to, to my constituents. And those are some of the biggest things that I do, in my opinion, 
some of the most important things that we 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 do. So couldn't um, agree just so more. everybody knows. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and so reach out to Senator Paxton, and and we we really appreciate you coming on to do this wrap up on the Texas constitutional amendment election. Um, and Senator Paxton, you're always open for meetings, for phone calls, for emails. Work is being done right now for January of 2023. So so get in touch with Senator Paxton. Let her know if you like something, if you don't like something, and um, and she'll work on it with you. Absolutely. And, and you can follow um, me on my social media at Angela Paxton PX. My website is Angela, www.angelapaxton.com. <laughs> Would love to have you go there and, and, and click I'm with Angela and get involved in some love of our it. campaign activities too if you're well, interested well, I, in doing I'm that. I'm with okay, you. I, I'm with you. I'm with you, Angela. I'm with you, Senator Paxton. We'll have you're a one blessed of my, rest. You're one of my, you're one of, <laughs> You're one of my ladies. Uh, I am, and I'm honored, honored to be. Well, thank you so much, Senator. I appreciate appreciate all the good work you do. God bless you, and we'll see you soon. Okay, thanks. All right, thank you. That's Senator Angela Paxton from SD8, doing a great job um, in Austin for us, and she's she's available and ready to talk to you if you have something you want to make sure is stopped or starts or changes um, for next legislative session. Of course, we only meet six months every other year unless there's a special session. So get in touch with her and we'll put her information in on our feed. Now, talking about somebody else who's accessible, and I just love this. I mean, we're so blessed that we've got, uh, you know, and, and personally myself, I'm, you know, represented by Senator Paxton. I'm also represented by Congressman Van Taylor, who we have coming on now. Um, just very, very fortunate, very blessed. It should be the norm that elected officials are this accessible. Unfortunately, it's not. Now, we the people might be doing something to change that because I tell you what, Virginia spoke very loud and very clear. And New Jersey, no matter which, if we were in the win or the loss column as the Republican governor, um, it, this this has been this has been a wake-up call, I believe. So, Congressman Van Taylor, how are you? Good morning, good morning, and good morning. I love it. I love it. Well, it's great to see you again, and um, I, I want to get into, I've got a question for you because I'm just, I've been waiting to have you back on the show to talk about this particular thing. Um, but first of all, thank you so much for allowing me to emcee your um, commemoration for the Veterans event um, when, you, when you gave out the awards on Saturday. Um, moving to say that these are individuals and patriots who have served our country and our community. I feel like I'm not even doing them justice. Thank you for continuing to recognize service for, for people who have served in uniform and then out of uniform. Thank you so much for that. Oh, well, Kathy, thank you for participating and being the master of ceremonies. You did a fabulous job. Oh, thank you. Thank uh, you. And it is always a treat uh, to recognize. We recognize 15 individuals uh in who have served our country in uniform and then come back wow. and served our community and um it was just, it was really inspiring uh and it uh went from people who did uh you know a, a few years in the military in peacetime and then have a lifetime of service in our community to people that uh went uh, you know, went all the way and got, you know, got three stars, yes. <laughs> uh, a, literally a lifetime of service in the military, and then come back and they're participating again in our community. And I will say that one thing that was very inspiring to me is the Congressional Youth Advisory Council was there. And so we had yes. 40 some odd high school students 
Uh, and so many of them said, you know, that really gives me an idea of where I may want to live my life or how mm. I want to live my life. Because you were seeing people who'd really lived, not all of the awardees, but most awardees, and, you know, they, they, you know, they're older. And so yes. in their 50s, 60s, 70s. And so, uh, and I think even perhaps older than that. Right. Uh, yes. And, um, and so it gave you a perspective on service, and it was very inspiring uh, to it see was. this this level of service. And it was uh, and, and, and a real, a real, very humbling for me to have the tremendous privilege of being able to bestow the Congressional Commendation Award on them and say thank you for your service and thank you for everything you've done for our community. And I think it really is just a it was a great moment to really uh, to really reflect. Uh, on these people's lives of, of service uh, in uniform and out of uniform. Right. And I, I will say that it was our most popular ever ceremony. Uh, we were almost at capacity. The, the theater only seated 350 people, and, and uh, there were a few seats left, but there were many people just standing. A, just uh, a handful. Yeah, my husband, he, he ended up, because he didn't go until till later, and he, he was up in the upper balcony, and he said, Kathy said, there were only a handful of seats left at that point, but then he did notice a few folks standing so they could take pictures. Um I was I was blown away, but I think that again is is a testament to you you saying, "Hey, these people matter. They have made a difference, and we must recognize them." And um, gosh, I I agree with everything you said. It was just it was just a phenomenal event, and just again, thank you for recognizing people like that. Um, th- they deserve recognition, and 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 if it's going to inspire the next generation coming up, all the better. Um, Okay, so I've got to go from really happy and lovely and wonderful patriotic talk. I want to know, Congressman, how do I get in on the four hundred and fifty thousand dollar check? Wow, that is just—it <laughs> is just one of the worst ideas, and it's just another. You know, I, I mean, the only way to put it is it's, it's an insult to the American taxpayer. It I is mean, to, to tell a hardworking American who is trying to figure out, you know, with inflation and empty grocery shelves and higher gas prices, how they're going to fuel their tank, how, what they're not going to be able to afford at the grocery store, that their tax dollars are going to go to pay illegal aliens a jackpot, a jackpot. Oh. I mean, $450,000 per child. Right. So, are literally, literally, so you have families that are looking at getting a million dollars. Right. And I mean, when the word gets out, hey, go to America illegally, they'll give you, Joe Biden will give you a million dollars. I mean, you don't think that, if you think it's bad now, and, and this is one of these things where like every morning, every night you go to bed, you're like, it can't get any worse. And Joe Biden figures out how to make it even worse. And so this idea, which <laughs> I'm going to point out, the White House has not denied this. You know, the, the administration has said, look, this isn't true. We're not going to do it. They've said nothing. They have not, they've not, they've neither denied it nor they have acknowledged it. And so right. you, you, you have to fear the worst that this is something that they are seriously considering. It's a terrible idea. Uh, I and other members of Congress immediately, you know, went into action, you know, sent a letter to the administration, look, you cannot do this. And we're talking about it. And I just encourage, you know, everybody out there, reach out to your congressman. Uh, reach out to your senators, reach out to the White House, uh, send them an email and tell them no, full stop. Like, this is crazy. Uh, th- th- this crazy town policy, uh, it, it, this has just got to stop. Uh, and this is another example 
of of America last and illegal aliens first. And uh, and it's and know, it's I, not right, Congressman. And, you know, and I know you every it's this is one of those crazy things. Each week when you come on, we think, okay, this is as bad as it's going to get. Okay, you yep. know, Afghanistan, this is the worst. You know, you did a whole report yep. on that for several weeks you reported on Afghanistan and what what really went on there. And so we just keep thinking, and then, you know, we talk about $95 to fill up your SUV with just regular unleaded gas. That's not okay. That takes food off the table for your kids. That may mean they don't Absolutely. get to play soccer or baseball or go to dance class or whatever the case may be. Every week when you come on, the, the Biden administration ups ups the crazy, and no offense to crazy. You know, I, it just, what is happening it is, uh, you know, again, it is it is a consistent policy from the Biden administration of America last. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and whether and, and and the other thing is just is the duplicity. Uh, you know, this is an administration that said we're not going to do a vaccine mandate. We don't have the power to do that. And this came from Anthony Fauci. It came from it came from the head of HHS. It came from the president of the United States himself. I don't have the power to do this. The president, president Biden, I'm not going to do this. No, no vaccine mandate. Not going to come from me. And then he does it. Yeah. You yeah. know, this is a president who said, I'm not leaving anybody behind in Afghanistan. We're going to stay till we get every American home. So President Biden, that was his promise to our country to uphold one of our long held, I mean, uh, you know, a sacred honor. Uh, that every American fighting man and woman has, that we're not leaving anybody behind. And I'll, I'll just make this this kind of personal point, you know, as a reconnaissance Marine, you know, where, where I was, you know, conducting missions and sending Marines behind, you know, forward of friendly lines, you know, you know, you know well into India, well into bad guy country. Um, and, and, you know, it was, it was a, just a deeply firm belief in me. I'm not going to leave anybody behind. I'm going to get every single man who's in my charge home. That is my responsibility as a reconnaissance Marine, as an officer. I, I'm going to do this. Uh, and for Biden to, to to say it, to say it and promise it and then violate that promise. And, you know, I, I'll, I'll just say this, you know, my office, we are currently trying to get about 450 mm. people out of Afghanistan. And that's been true mm. since August 31st when America withdrew from Afghanistan and we said, we've got 450 people there. How are we going to get, these are, these are, these are just the people that my district office is trying to get home. We've been able to get one person back mm. one in 60 days. Uh, and this administration, you know, it, mm. it, 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 it is, it is atrocious I, again, but this is just, you know, they say one thing and then they break their word. They just, you know, the, 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 you know, the, you know, the president, the border is secure. We've heard this proclamation from the Biden administration repeatedly. It's not secure. It's the most unsecure border we've had probably in the history of our country. I, I think I uh, think you're a, right. I think you're right. And, and Congressman, let's let's go back 25 years. You've been somebody who's been protecting and standing up for a secure border. Let's let's talk sure. to the crew about that, because I think that's important. If you're saying it's the worst it's ever been, you've been there and done that for over two decades. Sure. No. Yeah. My first my first time in the U.S. Mexican border was as a Marine Second Lieutenant. Uh, you know, and and that was 25 years ago. Yeah. Uh, and I I went I've been back to the border. You know, as a state legislator, and then now as a congressman, and it's the worst it's ever been. Uh, mm. My 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 understanding is is that 
we've had seven months in a row of over 170,000 border apprehensions. That has never happened in the history of our country. That is the most border apprehensions that ever happened in a, in a seven-month streak. And it's going to accelerate because of this crazy plan that President Biden has to hand out hundreds of thousands of dollars to people who are here illegally. And, and let, me, let, me just, let me just let me just let me just let me just make why this is an insult. It's an insult to the taxpayer, but to the American men and women who put on the uniform, who risk their lives, who go downrange, and who make the ultimate sacrifice, who die in defense of our country. The federal government gives their family a hundred thousand dollars. So we're going to give more money to family, you know, to people who come to our country illegally break our laws, we're going to give them $450,000 apiece. And then, then we do to our men and women in uniform who fight for our country and make the ultimate sacrifice. Um, again, it's, it's Illinois first, America last, just me. I remember the days of America first. I remember the days of President Trump when he stood up for these things. And he was right then and we, I, you know, I, I know Americans long for the day to come back. wasn't too long ago. We had a president that said America first, uh, and we're tired of this America last stuff. Well, and I, I think the voters, I know in Virginia, they spoke loud and clear last night. Um, you know, a Republican governor, we had Republican wins up and down the ticket. And the fact that we're talking about a race for governor in New Jersey that I think at best I had heard was going to be, you know, a 10-point difference. Most folks were saying yep. it's probably going to be somewhere between 10 and 15 points. And at this point, even, even if it is a loss at the end of the day for the Republicans, it's a win for we the people. That race, Congressman, is a dead heat. Absolutely. No, I, I, you know, and look, the, I, I'm going to be honest, you know, the Democrats didn't see this coming. Uh, I they couldn't coming, have. You know, you, you could you could see you, well, you could see how unhappy the American people yes. are. They're they're unhappy. Parents are shocked and appalled that the Attorney General of the United States would call them domestic terrorists yes. for standing up at oh. a school board meeting and saying, "Hey, I don't want my children to have to read pornographic books. Hey, I don't want my child to be told that they're a racist because of the color of their skin. I don't want my child to be told that they are." an oppressed victim because of the color of their skin. Uh, these, the, the idea that those people are, are terrorists at the same time that the Biden administration, literally at the same time, is handing an entire country over to terrorists. Yeah. Like yeah. literally an entire country. Let's give the whole country to terrorists. Let's give yeah. them $85 billion of equipment. Yeah. Let's leave Americans behind. But you know what? The real terrorists. Are these parents? Are the parents who are speaking, exercising their right to freedom of speech? And I just sit here and think, you know, it it's your friends and my friends who are at these school board meetings, and they're some of the nicest people you'll ever meet. They are just very concerned about the books being put in front of their kids. And I know back, um, and I'm I'm a little bit older than you, but. I remember my my parents, my mom would get extra copies of the school books for the year, and she would read through those, and I know she would go, if she ever had concerns, she would go and talk to the principal or somebody at the administration building, and the neighbors, my, my, you know, my mom's friends would be like, well, thank you so much for speaking out on that, and now, what, so, what, my mom would be considered a domestic terrorist, but the drug cartel can have 
tons of drugs coming in that they're basically giving out so our kids will get addicted. And then all of a sudden you've got somebody dying because, you know, fentanyl is laced in their marijuana cigarette. It's it's yeah. crazy. It's crazy, man. Yeah, it, 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 and again, it, it's, it's, it's an insult to every parent that's ever stood up at a school board yeah. meeting that they would be considered domestic terrorists. And I'll just say that, you know, as long as I have been in public life, I have said and I will continue to say that what makes schools great in, in, in certainly, you know, here in, in North Texas is parental participation. Amen. The more that a parent Amen. is involved with their child's education, the more that they care about, you know, they make sure they're, you know, they're, they're, you know, getting their kids to kayak. They're getting right. their kids yeah. to, you know, after school enrichment programs that they're reading with their children, that they're participating with their homework, that they're talking to their teacher or their principal or their school board. The more participation that you have, the better that school is going to be, the better that education is going to be for that child. And we know that because we see that right here in North Texas where parents are involved, where they are engaged uh, and where they do participate. And I mean, to turn around and sort of say, you know, that's domestic terrorism. And and let me just point out, you know, that that, uh, in this, uh, you know, several months ago, uh, several members of Congress, including myself, uh, asked uh, the, the, the president, to declare the drug cartels uh, terrorist organizations. Yes. And what's amazing is the president ignores that ass, <laughs> blows it off, like whatever. They can run drugs in here. They can control you know, the southern border. They can do human smuggling. I'll help them, says the President Biden. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then at the same time, oh, but these parents that are coming to school with me, they're domestic terrorists. We need to investigate them. Yeah. Um, and mm. uh, it's, it's, it's really shocking. And this isn't like some fringe person in the Democrat Party. This is the attorney general of the United States of America, right? This is not some, you know, flippant, uh, you know, tweet or something, right. right? Some, you know, precinct chairman in, you know, somewhere in middle America. I mean, this is, this is, this is actually the attorney general of the United States that's saying mm. this thing. And it just, it just boggles the mind. And it's an insult. It is. It is. I, I, you know, and and Congressman, and I know we we were getting ready to wrap up here, but um, so I want you to let people know um, how they can get in touch with you. But it's one of those things that does the Biden administration think we are that clueless? It's, you know, information is too easy to access. If your congressman's ignoring you, you can go to a different congressman like yourself and you can get the real scoop on what's going on. So with a government where that you can even if somebody's not forthright in giving you the information, you can still dig it up and do research and find the information. Does this administration just think that we, the people, are stupid? Well, they, they certainly have got to have gotten a clue yesterday. Yeah. Uh, oh, you know, what happened yeah. in Virginia, what's happened in New Jersey. You know, look, there was a state rep seat in San Antonio that Biden won by, by 14 points that flipped to be a Republican yes. seat yesterday. You got uh, it, yes. You know, a, a, a real shock. I think across the board, and again, that that is a Hispanic seat, yep. and you know Hispanics in te- at least in Texas are plenty mad uh, at the at the at how the border has been turned into a disaster, uh, and the drugs are flowing across, and there's human trafficking, yeah. and there's sex trafficking. This is unacceptable, uh, and President Biden has a has a constitutional duty to protect our and defend the integrity of our borders. And he has completely given up on that. But what's worse than that, he's, he's basically lied about it. He said, oh, we have a secure border. 
We don't have a secure border. It's the least secure it's ever been in the history of our country. He's directly responsible. His policy choices, his decision to yeah, end the Remain in Mexico policy that was instituted by President Trump, his decision to stop deporting people uh, you know, that President Trump was very successful with, his decision to stop asking the Mexicans to defend our southern right, border, right. Uh, you know, to help us with that. You know, President Biden has made the policy choices that have created this, un, this insecure border. And President Trump crafted those policies that President Biden got rid of. And so President Biden owns this. This is his problem. He created it. And he's trying to and he's going to make it worse. I mean, this $450,000 proposal unquestionably will make our border even less oh, secure. It's hard to believe it can get worse. Right. But, but here we go. It looks like he's trying. You're right. And again, unfortunately, each week that you come back, there's something crazier that's being proposed or something that's more, at the end of the day, yep. is more dangerous and harmful to, to we, the people, and to the American people. Um, we appreciate you fighting the good fight. Keep fighting the good fight and fighting on the side of common sense and, and of, of we, the people. I mean, truly, I cannot I cannot thank you enough for representing us and, and um, you know, just and being so accessible and trying to get the word out about what this administration is trying to do to us. How, how do people get in touch with you? Because you do have a 100% meeting policy. I, I, I still have a 100% meeting policy. I had meetings with people yesterday, today, tomorrow. Uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm stuck in Washington voting this week. Uh, we'll hopefully get back to Texas uh, here in a few days uh, and we'll continue my 100% meeting policy. Uh, just you can go to just Google me, Van Taylor Congressman. Uh, you'll find our, our website. Um, I think we'll probably put it in the Facebook chat here. I'll I was going to say, I think somebody's commenting right now. <laughs> OK. All right. Well, we, we and we're, you know, obviously would love to sit down and talk with anybody. Feel free to pop us an email, uh, make a call into my office, a letter, any of those, any means you want to. i uh, love to get your opinion. Love to hear what you think is important. Uh, and we'll continue to fight for you. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Uh, go back and push back on the frontiers of darkness up there in D.C., Van Taylor. Thank you so much, Congressman. Right. Thank you, Kathy. Great to be with you. All right. God bless you. All right. Um, he's doing a great job representing us. And, uh, you know, just unfortunately, there is something every week that we discuss things coming out of D.C. with the Congressman. It's, there's a crazier idea. There's something more harmful proposed. There's something that has or has not happened that is hurting we, the people, either our pocketbook, our physical safety, um, our our mental health and our emotional well-being. All of those things are being put at risk right now. And the current administration just either they're that out of touch or they just don't care. So um, it's scary stuff. So voting is important and it does matter made a big difference in Virginia. So thank you to the people who've made made a difference there. Um, real quick before we sign off, and I know we're running long, but we've got to mention this. So, And I did, Coach Quigley, I'm wearing your hat. I even wore it yesterday when I voted. I was hoping it would bring us good luck. Um, unfortunately, it did not. The Atlanta Braves have won their first World Series since 1995 after defeating the Houston Astros 7-0 to in Game 6 last night at Minute Maid Park. Um, the Braves took the series four games um, to two behind, strong pitching and three big home runs. And although Atlanta couldn't close out the Astros at home in game five, thousands of fans flocked to the Braves stadium, uh, Truce Park on Tuesday to watch the game on a nippy but starry night. So, um, 
you know what? I still hats off to the Houston Astros. Um, you know, great season. Just just some, some amazingly talented ball players. Thanks for some great memories this baseball season to the Houston Astros. And and again, then if the Rangers aren't in it next year, I'm always it's all about the Rangers until the Rangers are out, and then it's all about the Astros. And again, Coach Quigley, I love my hat, and thank you so much. I'm wearing it proudly today. Um, just in honor of a great season for the Houston Astros. Y'all have a wonderful, wonderful um, rest of the day, and we will see you on Friday. We've got the Lawyer Show on Thursday. Um, What else do we have? Um, Oh, goodness gracious. Oh, this pink cloud will be coming up on Friday. Then we will have, um, uh, and that's a show all about recovery. Great show if you know someone in need or if you're in need. Great information. And then um, Saturday morning, Kilroy's Conversation. Of course, a week from tomorrow, my goodness, a week from Thursday, we will have a Veterans Day telethon from 9 to 3 up here at Venture X. Um, if you are uh, if you have a veteran-owned business or if you're a veteran who would like to have a few minutes on the show, shout at us. Um, Andrew White and uh, Chuck um, Wright um, from Kilroy's Conversation will be joining us, um, as well as JP. He'll be piping um, in throughout the day from out of town next Thursday, I believe. Anyways, y'all have a great day. Have a blessed one, and we will see you soon. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.